Hi, podcasting from New York. They say if you can make it here, you can make it anywhere. This is Pushing Boundaries. Most of today's commentary on complex social issues is binary, unproductive, and flat-out lazy. With this podcast, I'm looking to hopefully elevate these conversations, and as a lifelong educator, hopefully learn a few things along with you. Thanks for listening, and enjoy the show. Welcome to Pushing Boundaries, Black Man, My Story. Today's guest is Brandon Gibson. I'm happy to have you here with us today, Brandon. I'm excited to be here. All right, I want to just offer your uh, bio today for today's interview. Uh, let me read this here. Uh, driven by legacy and faith, Brandon and Gibson founded Light Rock Holding LLC, based in the Northeast region. The real estate investment development and consulting firm focuses on acquiring undervalued and underutilized assets in New York City and Northern New Jersey. In his over 14 years of real estate investment and marketing experience, Brandon has been at the helm of investments and acquisitions in multifamily properties in all five boroughs of New York. In the spirit of his father, an immigrant from Barbados that set the bar and planted seeds for revitalization, Brandon continues to carry the torch as his business expands. When asked to describe his work in passion and layman's terms, he humbly states, we don't just want to build houses, we want to build communities. Brandon holds a BA in business finance from York College, CUNY, and is completing his MS in government from Harvard University. Most notably, Brandon lives with his college sweetheart, Jewel Gibson, and their two sons. Welcome, Brandon. Thanks, man. So, Brandon, I just we're going to get right into uh, our story today. I know you had those anchor articles, and we're, we're speaking today about you know the narratives that are often um, promoted through mass media, and we want to set the record straight by you offering your story today and sharing your narrative. So, I want to ask you with the first question that I have today is, who are you? That's a powerful question. Um, I'm a man. I'm a black man. Uh, I'm a father. I'm a husband. Uh, I am a friend. Uh, I'm a visionary. And I'm human. Um, I probably should have said that first, but I think that's probably one of the most relevant words for this conversation. Uh, And so that's me in a nutshell. I'm I'm a businessman. I love to um, sort of create um, and to empower and uh, encourage people uh, so that they too can create as well. Um, that's me in a nutshell, to be honest with you. I'm not that sophisticated. I'm not a rucker, so I'm not that, uh, <laughs> I'm not that sophisticated, man. So tell me, you know, in, in regards to narratives, what's not true about you? Wow. I think a lot of people see me, uh, those who don't know me or just know me from afar, they think I'm very cold. Uh, and serious all the time. Um, now I can come across that way because I am serious. I'm, I'm involved in a lot of serious things that affects people's lives. Um, but uh, people who know me know that I'm really a clown. And so um, I love to crack jokes and play around and mess around. So I think that's one common misconception about me. So if I saw you in person, what would I see? If I was trying to interpret you based on your movements, what would I know? Um, you would know that I'm somebody who is probably pretty observant. Um, You'll probably notice that I'm um, very much in tune with what's happening around me. Um, Someone who's 
probably very pensive. I, I, people would see me and they probably would think that I'm in deep thought. Um, sometimes that's true. Sometimes I'm just not <laughs> in deep thought. I just look like that. Probably just trying to trick you, maybe. Uh, but no, I think I think by default I'm just always thinking. Like my mind never stops. So I think you know they would think that I'm you know pretty serious um, about whatever it is that I'm doing and that uh, you know I'm aware. So what's what's life like for you daily? So if we had to be a fly on the wall and we were following you for a day what is mm -hmm. it like with it by the time you wake up to the time you go to bed what's life like for you what happens well for me i i wake up in the morning and and on most mornings um i'm not perfect with it but on most mornings i i get right on my knees and i i pray i'm very big on faith so i pray um i have some moment of, of devotion and meditation and quiet time um, where I'll read scripture and I'll have some, you know, music playing and I'll just kind of sit, sit quietly before I answer any emails or respond to any calls or anything like that. Um, I do that pretty early in the morning and then I get myself ready. I get my four-year-old ready for school because I take him to school every morning. Um, and then I walk him to school and then the day begins and all oh, we're off to the races. Uh, so that could be me running to my office in the city or running to a development site or to a meeting um, it's, it's pretty much all over the place sometimes, but that's pretty much how the days look for me. So in your world, in the world of real estate and the, the aggressiveness of your business, mm -hmm. um, what is that like for you? I mean, could you tell us moments that, you know, have been special for you or moments where you've had to establish yourself as a, a man of color? Great question. I mean, the, the people who taught me the business don't look like me. Um, so the people that got me in the business, you know, they're Jewish and Italian um, they were the ones who really got me into the business in the first place. Um, and then to a, to, a, to another degree, uh, I'd be remiss if I didn't mention, you know, the one group that sort of did pull me in that does look like me, uh, the Peebles Corporation, you know, Don Peebles, most notably Tawan Davis, who brought me into the Peebles Corporation, which is a black owned, which was at one point the largest African-American real estate development company in the country. Uh, I worked for them for two years and that really gave me an institutional exposure to real estate on a much more sophisticated level, raising money from pension funds and from sovereign wealth funds and, um, you know, things and, and you know, things of that nature. Uh, so I worked in that regard with them um, and it was a completely black owned firm. So that was really cool to see that and be around that. Um, so that was that was really different. So how did you I mean, how did you get into this stuff? I mean, you, you graduated high school and then what happened? How did this this journey begin for you? So I got my first property at 19. Um, and that's, I always wanted to own stuff. I always wanted to own buildings. Uh, I wanted to see my, I wanted to see my family name on a building. My love for my father, my admiration for my dad is really what has driven me, particularly early on in my life, um, to, to just make him proud and to do what I saw him do. So my father was very active in the community, very active with community development and community organizing. And I just wanted to be like him. So I just gravitated um, in a slightly different direction to actually doing the building uh, of buildings and, and buying the properties. He worked more so on the infrastructure of how communities should be run. Uh, so just being around him, you know, just motivated me to want to do something in that space. And then I also knew that, you know, he who owns the land makes the rules. And so I learned that very early on. I saw how people in neighborhoods would be, you know, kicked out or evicted from their homes. And I always wondered, like, why is it like they live there, but why is it that they don't seem to have any power? And then I realized pretty early on in my life that it's because they didn't own the property. And so if you own the property, you can decide what does and doesn't happen. 
wow, that's in alignment to your uh, quote. We just don't build houses. We want to build communities. Where did that come from? That's exactly right. It came from there because my, so I've, I come from East New York, Brooklyn. Uh, anybody who knows anything about Brooklyn, particularly East New York, uh, in the 80s, early 90s, it was a war zone. I mean, it, looked, it literally looked like a bomb hit it. Uh, and, you know, there was vacant lots everywhere in East New York. And there's an organization I'm a part of called East Brooklyn Congregations. They started an initiative to build affordable home ownership, not just affordable housing, because affordable housing could mean renting and or owning. But if you own, you take ownership, not just of the building, but of the neighborhood. But if you rent, you have less uh, ties to the, to, the, to, the, to the building and therefore to the community, because once your lease is up, you can move out. Uh, so this was about home, uh, affordable home ownership to create equity and wealth, generational wealth, in the lives of um, African American and Hispanic people. So the um, the organization built thousands of um, affordable homes, subsidized by the government, uh, and my my family was one such family to buy one of those homes in the early '90s. And this was this was my family's first home. My father's an immigrant from Barbados. My mom was born here, but raised in Barbados. And this was their first home. And so my father uh, joined the organization, and they were a part of you know putting making sure we got stop signs and street lights and you know um, street lights, um, uh, not street lights, uh, stri uh, uh, stop signals, I should say, traffic signals. There you go, traffic signals, and uh, making sure roads were paved. You know what I mean? Like my father was a part of that, and as a result, Forbes magazine got wind of what he was doing. And what the what those like him in the community were doing, and they interviewed my dad and my whole family, and I was like, you know, in elementary school, and that stuck with me that my father was able to kind of do that as some guy from, you know, the country in Barbados, and was able to kind of transcend his background and be who he became and help so many people. So that's where that came from for me. Wow, that's amazing, man. That's an amazing, amazing story to hear. You know, um, definitely, you definitely sound like you had an awesome role model in uh, helping you to become a man. Can you speak to more of that in terms of what are the characteristics of your father that um, was um, borrowed from you or, or, or actually um, that you took up and you began to own yourself? Oh, man. Uh, do we even have the time? Oh, man. My, my father, if I could be half the man my father is, I'd be all right, man. He, he is he's not a wealthy man, but, but, but he's a wealthy man. Um, he is he's the type of person that if you just bumped into him on the street and you had a bag of a million dollars and you, you were running, somebody was chasing you and it was your money. And he's like, listen, I got to hide, but please hold this money for me and I'll come back next year and get it from you. He's the type of guy that'll have every single dollar still in that bag a year later. Like he's one of those type of people. He's just, you can trust him with anything. And one of the, one of the watershed moments for me that made me who I am, uh, where I think that if my father didn't do this, I would not be the person that I am today. Um, and anything that's good about me, I attribute it. To, I attribute it mainly, aside from my faith, I attribute it to my parents, both my mother and my father. Everything else that's bad and all the mistakes I made are mine. I own those, but the good stuff is definitely them. And so my father, when I was about five, I think I was about five, somewhere around there, and I used to think, I used to walk with my head down, like all the time. I would, I would literally walk down the street with my head down. And I did that because at five, I did not think, I thought I was ugly at five. I thought I was ugly. And so, I, so then one day, uh, my father, I guess he never really noticed that I was doing that. And then one day we, we came home, I think from church or somewhere, and I got out the car and I was walking with my head down into the house. And I guess this was the first time my dad actually noticed that I was doing that. And so he, he was like, what are you doing? 
And I was like, well, he was like, why is there, why are you walking with your head down? And I was like, I don't know, because I don't, you know, I'm ugly. I don't like myself. And then he was like, what? So he grabbed me, took me in the bathroom, shut the door, picked me up, lifted me up uh, in front of the mirror and said, look, I want you to look, lift your head up, look at yourself, look at what you see in that mirror. He said, you're a Gibson. You're handsome. You're a leader. You're brilliant. You're smart. Nobody can tell you anything. You can do whatever you want to do, be whoever you want to be. And I got to tell you, Rock, and you know me better than a lot of people. He created a monster when he did that. He created somebody after that. that I don't refer you as a monster. I refer you as a maverick. Well, I mean, you know, monster in a good way. Yeah. I mean, I mean, I mean, like he created a beast where, you know, you know me, you've seen me, you know, compete. You see me in different scenarios and I'm not scared of anybody. I'm not scared of anybody or anything. And I am a leader and I am strong. And all of that came from my father. And from that day forward, I never put my head down, um, uh, you know, ever again, whether that be externally put my head down or, you know, internally, figuratively put my head down. Did I have bad days? Absolutely. Was I down? Absolutely. Did I have rough days where I felt like, you know, everything was falling apart and I'm never going to make it? Yeah. I've had those days, but but deep down in me was the voice of my father telling me to look in the mirror and remember who I am, uh, and that's what helped to get me to where I am today. So that's probably the biggest moment um, of my life and the biggest impact that my father gave to me, and that's what I try to give to my sons now and all those who I'm connected to uh, that I pour into all the younger guys that I talk to. Wow, that's an exceptional story, man. I'm glad you shared that with us, you know. It's important, you know, that we give credit to, you know, those who definitely helped shape us. And I'm glad that it was inside your house internally. You know, unfortunately, that's not the case for uh, right. some people out here in terms of growing up in a household. Right. You know, they don't have the uh, that factor, their father factor. But I'm glad mm -hmm. you shared that with us because we see that it is important to have. Um, you know, in your rites of passage, because, you know, none of us were, were perfect in growing up. But tell us about your rites of passage and, and how you like your most difficult time as an adolescent and what you did just for the younger people in terms of making connections here and what you did to, um, to navigate those tough situations to make it to who you are today? Well, I mean, I come from East New York, so, you know, you, you were either a drug dealer, basketball player, rapper, all of the above. Um, we, we didn't really have exposure <clears throat> to, you know, things outside of that. Though. I got exposure because my father worked. Even though we lived in the hood, you know, he worked himself his way up, um, at uh, Solomon Smith Barney that became Travelers and then now it's Citigroup. Um, so I was able to kind of benefit from his exposure and his mentality. But, you know, my surroundings, you know, were pretty much, you know, working class folks, low, you know, low to middle income folks um, who did not really, who, who were more, who were more focused on surviving than succeeding. Mm. Because when you are African-American, Hispanic, West, you know, Caribbean, and you're an immigrant, you don't have the luxury to think about success. You have you you are forced to be pigeonheld into a reality that forces you to figure out how do I put food on the table, and you're not you're not thinking about success. You're not thinking about wealth. You're thinking about you know clothes and food and a roof over their heads. That's it. Right. And how do I keep that going? Like and so so you really can't blame. And I hear a lot of people you know like wishing that you know their mother or father did this or did that. But at the end of the day, you know their situation. You don't know what they had to deal with. And if they're first generation in this country or first generation to go to college or whatever it is. You know, they, they don't have the luxury like other groups, demographic groups, to, to, to just think about, you know, how do I make more money or how do I buy 10, 10 more buildings? No, they're, they're thinking about just how do we survive, you know? So that's what I think um, a lot of the other families around us 
uh, were um, that's how they were living. That's that's what we, they were forced to live. And as a result, you know, you, you you that doesn't take away your ambition as a as a child. Like you see music videos and you see your favorite rapper wearing this or driving that or having this and having that watching movie stars and movies and you see all these you know great things that they have and you want to have it you know you you do and so uh for me the challenge was do i sidestep it was almost like i, I had to I had, I had to fight two people inside of me sometimes it was kind of like there was one person that knew what was right and to just kind of take my time and you know, build build my life brick by brick as to what I want to do and kind of go step by step. Uh, and then there was another part of me who wanted to kind of turn to the street because it was around me and all my friends were doing different things. And so it was always a fight to not go in that direction. And I had a really strict, you know, a really strict mother, seriously. So she kept a hand on me like <laughs> as best as she could. <clears throat> and so I really, you know, I had to sneak whatever dirt I did, I had to sneak to do it. But Ultimately, you know, I was always battling sort of like, dang, I really want to do this, but I already, I already know what that's going to yield. I really, you know, I could sell drugs and do all of that, you know, but I know, I know what's going to happen to me. I know, you know, it's not really going to benefit me in the long run. Um, and so it was just fighting that, you know, just fighting, you know, just really just understanding that I just got to, you know, take my time and just really invest my time in what will be most beneficial for me and not just what's like most immediate. What, what strategies did you use to stay safe while you were on walking through those streets? Sure. Knowing people, that was a strategy. Mm. I knew I knew who the big drug dealer was on the corner, so I was cool with him. And I knew, you know, some gang members on this block and on that block, and whoever I didn't know, my neighbor that I grew up with, that was like my best friend at the time. He knew everybody because you know he, he his parents let him outside more than my parents let me outside. So he knew everybody. So as long as I stuck with him, I was cool. So I really didn't have many of those issues growing up. I never had any of those problems. Only when I went to somebody else's hood, that's when I had some beefs. But other than that, when I was in my hood, I was good. Mm, okay, okay. So let's switch questions. Let's switch gears here. What mm -hmm. is... So Okay, so we got what is true about you. Uh -huh. Oh, did we speak to what is not true? So we spoke what is not true. What is not true. So let's talk about what is true about you. Yeah. I get such energy from seeing people become what they resisted being for a long time. Mm. I get such joy and life from seeing people and being part of the process of people discovering what their purpose is and then being able to watch them live it out. That like that does more for me than money could ever do for me. You know, it really does. Just being able to see people and be a part of that process to see people kind of live one existence on one day. And then I'm able to help them sort of transcend that existence and, and really become what they never thought they could be. Uh, and then and they live a very fulfilled life. And so I am at this stage of my life. I am so much about purpose. I am so like it's not about money. I, I chase money made a lot of money at an early age and did a lot of, you know, amazing things in the, in the business world at an early age. But at this stage of my life, I really understand the power of purpose as opposed to just sort of living. I think there's a lot of people, black men in particular, who are just, who are just, you know, existing. They're not living. They're not living a purpose-filled life. Uh, they just pay their bills. And even the ones that, and I'm not even just talking about, you know, our brothers who 
locked up and you know that's 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 definitely a demographic for sure that's clearly not living but even the guys who have jobs they have a nine to five or whatever it is and they, they work and then they, they go home <laughs> and then they do the same thing every single day and then they might go on a vacation once a year with their girl or their wife and you know they're raising their son or their daughter or their children and you know they go to costco's and bj's and stock up for food and they come home like it's just it's just this redundant repetitive life that and if that's what if that's what their purpose is, that's fine. But I feel like for so many of us, it's we're called to do more than that. I just think that we're called to do more than just pay bills. I, 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 I even think we're, we, I think we are, we, we are, we have a mandate to do more with our lives and even just raise children because children are going to leave the house, hopefully, at some point. That's right. So I feel, so I feel like we have to be more than, than just those things. Like, I, you know, and so for me to be a part of, because uh, I also, you know, I do a lot of, speaking and um, I, mean, I guess I'm an unofficial life coach. I haven't really taken on that mantra or that moniker uh, officially because I have so much on my plate, but I unofficially do that for a lot of people um, from all different backgrounds, black, white, in between. Uh, and so that gives me such joy to see people kind of transcend their, their past and their current realities to sort of be pushed into their purpose. Can you talk, can you speak, can you give us an example of the impact that you've had on someone where you've seen that happen? Good question. So I'll give you a recent one. There's, there's there's a ton of people that I've you know crossed paths with over the years and that have that I've had the privilege of pouring into and helping. But most recently, I'll give you something very very recent, as in like last week or a week before, um, <clears throat> before the whole Corona thing. Um, so there's this guy, Italian American. Um, for, he's in his mid forties. He makes about six seven hundred thousand dollars a year in real estate. And, you know, married, two daughters. And he calls me the other day and he's like, Brandon, like, I, I just feel empty. And over the years, he and I, we, we've talked and I've kind of given him a little insight here and there and tried to, you know, sort of be a shoulder for him and um, help him out. But it's gotten more serious lately. And so he calls me and he's like, look, I'm, I feel really empty. Mind you, this guy, he can make $600,000 a year. He has a, a moving penthouse in in uh in the city you know a beautiful wife beautiful beautiful twin daughters um he buy whatever he wants he wants he can go wherever he wants he can he has a house in the hamptons i mean he's 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 killing it he 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 looks like what everybody wants right wow yes and he said to me he's like i just feel so empty i just feel like i just can't take this anymore. like it was almost suicidal to that to that if i could use that term it was almost to that degree and he broke down on the phone he goes i just i just can't and so we started talking. I said, "Yo, bro, I said, listen, man, what? Why are you here?" He's like, "What do you mean? Like, well, what? Why are you here? You, you, I know you make all this money, and he and I were business partners before. We we did a lot of deals together. So he's very smart. He's he's a hard worker, and you know, I'm like, but but why are you really here? And he's like, I, I don't know. And so I asked him, if money were not an issue for you, if you didn't have to make money, ever, and you could just live your life, what what would you do with your life? And he said to me, I would be an actor. He said, I never told anybody wow. that. He said, he never said that out loud. He's never, he's 40 something years old and never told anyone that he would be an actor. He wants to be an actor. His heart's desire is to be an actor. Mm. But he never told anyone. He never told anyone. He always, he always kept it in. He never told a soul. So I said to him, so this is what I'm going to challenge you to do. This week, you're going to look up different acting schools and you're going to take an acting class. If it never goes anywhere, the purpose is not to win, a, win an Oscar. The purpose is to live out your purpose. Hmm. 
and to and to activate that part of you that you have ignored for all of these years. And he broke down in tears. And it sounds so simple, right? It just it doesn't sound like anything deep. But when you think about it, we we have really we as people we have really suppressed and we have hid or hidden we have we have disregarded large parts of who we are for the sake of I don't know for some people it's the sake of trying to please their parents or for some people it's the sake of just trying to you don't want to survive you you want to succeed so badly and you succeed at the expense of who you really are of being who you really are because you just you don't want to be like your family was poor and all of those things have you know have their place and I think all those things have a degree of legitimacy. But at the end of the day, I think it, we do ourselves a disservice that when we get to a point in life, when we breathe our last breath, we die with so much stuff still in us. And my father always said, you know, the richest place in the world is the graveyard. And I always wondered why he would say that. And it, it took me a while till I got older to really understand what he meant. And what he meant was there's so much wasted potential buried six feet under. And it's the richest place in the world. And so I'm determined as best as I can in and of my own self um, to speak to myself firstly, but then all those around me who connect with me to die empty. Mm. Don't take anything in the graveyard. Don't make the graveyard any richer than it already is. Let it all out now and let the world benefit from what is inside of you. Mm. Well said. Well said. Well said. Um, you know, I've heard that before from uh, Les Brown. He also said that too, and I yeah. agree with you one hundred percent. I want to ask you another question. How do you? How did you learn how to love? Hmm. Wow, that's that's heavy. I would have to say, and I'm not trying to be religious at all because I'm not a religious person. <clears throat> um, my my relationship with 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 Jesus Christ, that for me, like it hands down, hands down. Uh, the, uh, after, well, before my father and my parents, it's that understanding, um, grace, and mercy, and what that looks like. And for me, you know, my faith teaches that you know, for God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, whosoever believeth in Him shall not perish but have everlasting life. Like sacrifice, you know, what that really looks like, giving up what you want giving up your dream so someone else's can live. Um, and I think, and I think in support of that, that my, of my faith, the very next thing, as far as how to love as an adult has been my marriage. Like mm -hmm. that has taught me on a whole, like you, when you, if you thought you knew what love was and what grace and mercy was before you get married, wait till you get married. Cause that's when that those things really have to Amen. manifest <laughs> in a way that you never thought it had to. And then you realize how much, how far off of the mark you really are. That's right. You know, I feel like in, I feel like in dating, dating you can hide. You can hide. But in marriage, you, there's no place to hide in marriage. Mm. There's no place to hide. There's just no place to hide. You, Everything about you will be exposed whether you like it or not. Mm. Period. Period. And so when things are exposed, the question is now, are you going to run and act like you didn't see what you saw? Or are you going to engage it and, and engaging it can be painful. You know, it can be stressful because, you know, you're being challenged in an area where in no other area in your life will you be challenged. Your business partners aren't going to challenge you like that because you're the boss or you're the partner or whatever. You know what I mean? You're, 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 you're the man in the gym because you can lift, you know, 350. You bench at 350. Nobody's challenging you in the gym. You're, you're the man. Nobody challenges you on the basketball court. 
this degree because you know how to play. But in marriage and even raising children, that's the next that's the next step mm. on love. Those two areas for me, man, just in a practical sense, that's where you're able to really act out, you know, the love that you 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 for me, this is where I've learned to act out the love that I experienced in my faith. I acted out or try to with my wife and my and my sons. And I, I don't always hit the mark. I'm gonna be honest. Like I, I, I'm still learning and still trying and still trying to grow and get better. But those two areas demand um, authentic love. And in order for you to give it, you got to be very honest with yourself. Uh, and for me, um, I would not be able to love the way that I do and the way that I strive to love without the divine love um, that I acknowledge and am in relationship with currently. Mm. Because I think. The experiences that we have with people, marriage, children, I don't think we have the capacity in and of our own human ability and existence to love people beyond our fleshly inclinations. Mm. I feel like the love that people are in need of, I think the, the love that a mother has for their children is not earthly. I think it's divine because a mother could love, look, think about it. You've seen moms be at the courthouse and their son done slaughtered 10 people. 10 people. Mm. And that mother's love for that child doesn't even, it doesn't, it, it doesn't go up. It doesn't go down. It is consistent no matter what. That's divine mm. to me. That's just divine. And I, and I don't even think that mother or that father or whoever it is that's loving that person who seems unlovable is loving them in and of their own strength. I believe, this is just my personal belief, that that is a divine love in them that is being manifested towards that person. And so for me, I just, the, the source of being able to love that way is not me because I know I'm messed up. I know that there's limits to flesh, to fleshly love. You know, I'll love you up until this point, or I'll love you and it's, or the love is conditional. As long as you do this, I'll love you. And that's what most people, that's most people's engagement is. It's I'll love you until or unless mm -hmm. once you do this to me, I'm not loving you no more. Mm -hmm. That's, that's, that's not. So, so for me, I feel like most people, we're just, def we default to that kind of love. But in order to love beyond that point, I believe we have to engage and acknowledge a divine love that is not not, of, uh, not in and of our own selves, but a love that, that comes from God. And that love allows us now to be the conduit within which God is able to love that person through us because we give God access to do it. And now we're able to love who was once unlovable. Wow. Wow, well said, man, well said. Listen, I hope I can reach that, man. I'm, I'm still striving myself, you know. Brother, with, many, with many years, with many years doing it, I'm still striving to do that, be that way. Um, Same here. We all are. It, there's degree. So here's here's an analogy that I have. <clears throat> if you ever look at a rocket ship, and when it's on the tarmac, right, it takes off. But as it takes off, you realize that there's boosters on it. There's all these other heavy things on it. You know, that theoretically is supposed to help it take off, but it helps it take off. But what it what, what you realize is that as the rocket ship gets closer to where it's trying to go, as it starts to move from one atmosphere to the next, as it goes higher from where it first started, all of those things start to fall off. And I think most of us, the issue is that we tend to use all of the stuff that's on us our past, our mistakes, our issues, all of the weight that's on us as an excuse to not take off. 
I'm not going to go. I'm not going to do it because of this and because of that and because of what this happened and because of that happened. And we stay on the tarmac. Could you imagine what the rocket ship would look like if it just refused to take off because of all that stuff on it? Mm-hmm. Not realizing that the stuff and the weight that's on it is the very thing that'll help it take off in the first place. Mm-hmm. And so now it takes off and as it gets closer, it no longer needs the weight. As a matter of fact, the atmosphere that was where it was when it first took off is not the same atmosphere that it become or that it is when it gets higher and closer to space. The atmosphere changes. And as a result of that atmospheric pressure change, those things that are attached to the rocket ship have no choice but to fall off, all because the rocket ship has gotten closer to where it was trying to go. Mm. Here's my thing. I So as long as the rocket ship stays in pursuit of its destination, its destiny, its purpose, all of those things will begin to fall off. Don't worry about all of the things that weigh you down. Don't worry about all of the weight that's on you, all of the mistakes that you made. Take off anyway and watch those mistakes and those issues and those problems and your past and all of that stuff be the very reason that you're able to take off in the first place. And as you get closer to the destination, for me, that destination was my faith. Mm. As I got closer to God, all those things started to fall off of me. Because, because I engaged a divinity that caused me to see myself and be able to work through some things in myself, to be honest with myself. And I was able to deal with some things and allow God to deal with me. And then when I did that, all those things started to fall off. So I would tell anybody, just be in pursuit. I don't care what it is. You want to start, start your business? Just be in pursuit. Like, just like I told the guy. He actually just texted me just now. It's just so funny, the, 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 the Italian-American guy that I was talking about. Um, but just like I told him, it's not about winning a Grammy. I mean, an Oscar. It's not about it's not about you know being on the Forbes 100 or the Forbes 500. It's not about being you know on the on the Hollywood Walk of Fame. It's about you just being in pursuit. That's why I believe that I believe in purpose over success. There's a difference between purpose and success. Success is a moving target. You get it today, and then tomorrow it's not enough because it's a moving target. That's right. And That's right. And, and, and and when you are in pursuit of success you are also saying that you're willing to fail because anybody who tried to go after success knows you're going to fail. That's right. And failure has a place, and I'm cool with failure in that regard. However, when you, put, when you are in your purpose, that's how you can never fail. Failure and purpose, can't even, you can't even put them in the same sentence because as long as I'm doing my purpose, whether things go right, whether things go wrong, whether there's a whether whether there's a coronavirus, whether the stock market crashes, it doesn't matter because as long as I'm living my purpose, I can never fail. The only time I can fail if you're talking about purpose is if I stop doing it. Mm. As long as I continue doing it, it doesn't matter. Even in real estate, the most wealthiest families in real estate are families who their purpose was from the beginning to be long-term holders of real estate. They didn't flip. They didn't buy for, you know, and, and, and you know, hold it for five years and then sell it. Most real estate investment companies hold stuff for five to seven years and then they sell it. Mm. Other guys will buy and flip and sell it within a year or less. The most wealthiest families, and you can look this up, the most wealthiest families, particularly here in New York and around the world, that are wealthy from real estate, they bought it 100 years ago, 50 mm. years ago. Because the purpose was to be long-term holders. Watch this. Wars have happened in the last 100 years. 
climate issues have happened in, in these last hundred years. Natural disasters have happened in the last hundred years. Presidents have been assassinated in the last hundred years. Things have changed. Let, uh, legislation has changed over the last hundred years. But guess what? It doesn't matter. They weren't called to be successful and get the quick hit in the first year just to make you know a million dollars in their in their make a million dollars in their um in their uh in in in, in their in, in their investments. No, it wasn't about that. It was about long term a long term play, right? So even in real estate, that what I'm saying plays itself out to be true as well. It's not about success, and I think that's that's one of the issues in our because we've been so deprived of it. We are we are so bloodthirsty for it. Mm. We have we have we we are we have been so deprived of being being free to succeed without the barriers and the obstacles of of being black, of in America without the obstacle having to deal with the obstacle of what that really means and police brutality. We we have been we have been sort of conditioned to to be um, to be to to, to 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 think you know Fifty Cent said it get rich or die trying. Mm. Get rich or die trying, mm. and and I, and I understand why that statement was made, and why and that's not just a statement; that's an ideology. We see it in in our neighborhoods, in our communities, everywhere. I just have to get rich. Why is it so necessary to get rich? Because I have been held in poverty for so long, and I need to realize this ambition that I feel inside of me, and I'll do it at any means necessary. Mm. I'll and I'll get rich. Not I will live out my purpose by, by or die trying. It is my entire purpose seems to be to be rich. Mm. And so the entire narrative is skewed and messed up and backwards because it's not about if you if you if you're if you're purposeful in your business, you'll make money by default. You'll make it by default. But what we do is think that the money is the purpose. The, the money is just a means to an end, not not the end. And that's the mistake that we make. So that's my thinking on that. Um, and, you know, we're all in it together, man. We're all in pursuit, you know, to some degree or another. And I'll just encourage everybody who's listening, just stay in pursuit. Don't worry about making, you know, whatever amount of money and getting to this pinnacle or that pinnacle. It's not about that. It's about being faithful to the purpose that you feel you have for your life. And then in that, you will find success. Well said. Well said. Let's transition. I mean, let's. this really connects to the next question. And someone pursuing their purpose and, and following, you know, they're, they're going to be confronted with failures, right? And so my question is, how, do you, how does someone heal and take care of their physical and emotional self during that process? Because you've, you've given us a spiritual part of it, but how do you sure. now deal with the physical and emotional part of it? Because you also Great have question. to be physically sound and emotionally sound to continue Great that question. struggle. Great question. So I, I went through that. So I, at an early age, you know, I made a lot of money. I was driving a Bentley in my early twenties. I was. I remember that. You know, I was. I know. I, I was doing a lot. In my, it was a two seater. Very nice. <laughs> yes, Continental GT. Yes, and uh, so you know, I, I I made a lot of money, and um, I lost a, a lot of money. You know, at, at twenty something years old, um, the market crashed, uh, and then the guy who was <clears throat> running the company turned out to be like a mini Madoff and stole all my money. Uh, and so it was nuts. And so I went through a multi-year depression. I don't even know if you know that, bro. No, I, didn't I went know that. through, I, mean, I was in my room. I would literally close the blinds to the windows. I did, I, 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 I put it to you this way. When I would wake up every morning, I would, I would look at it as punishment that I woke up. Wow. I would look at it as again, like I would so be, be so disappointed that God allowed me to wake up again. And so the sun was a reminder 
not of a new day, but of my failure. Mm. That's what the sun was for me. So I would literally be in my room with the, with the blinds closed. For, I'm talking like days and weeks and months on end. Um, didn't want to see anybody. Didn't want to talk to anybody. Didn't want to go anywhere. It was just years of that. And so what I would tell people, aside from the spiritual part, which really, which is really what saved my life. Hmm. On top of that, I would say um, go to therapy. Hmm. I would say um, read. Here's a book you should read. Is um, The Obstacle is the Way by Ryan Holiday. The Obstacle of the Way by Ryan Holiday. And basically that book's just, that book just talks about how nothing is bad and nothing is good until you say it is. Mm. And these are all very biblical and spiritual principles anyway, but he puts it in a very practical and pragmatic uh, perspective. Uh, <clears throat> and so, you know, for example, he, uh, let's take cancer. Cancer is cancer in and of itself is neither bad or good. We ascribe a definition to it to be bad, right? Um, so we'll say somebody has cancer. Oh my God. Oh, and I'm going to prove to you that I'm right by what I'm saying. Cause a lot of people are like, what are you saying? Cancer is bad. Okay, cool. So listen to this. One person will say, Oh my God. If cancer is, you know, my opinion and everybody's opinion is that it's not a good thing to have, but if it, if it's inevitable that someone will get it, you to decide what definition you give to now having cancer. Right? So one person gets it and their whole world falls apart. They fall into a depression. They are sad every day. They're crying every day, and then they die. Another person gets it, and this person—I've known both types of people, by the way, personally. Then another person gets it, and you would never know they have it. They're happy all the time. They sing, they dance, they live their life, they travel, they write journals, they write books, they do movies, they write songs, they sing, uh, and they leave legacy hmm. because they decided. One person decided that this is bad, and therefore I'm dead, and that's it. My life is over. The other person decided, yeah, this is not the best thing that could happen to me, but I can't control that it happened to me. So what can I do and what definition can I ascribe to this reality for it to work in my favor? Mm. And that's what the book talks about, how to do that. So, no, so, so here's the thing. No matter what happens to you, it's all good if you say it is. Mm. The problem is those of us who are struggling with whatever we're struggling with, we're struggling with it because we have decided to interpret it and ascribe a meaning that it's not good. Mm. The moment you take the power back from the situation and you determine what to define the situation as, you determine what definition you ascribe to this uh, reality, that is when you're back in the driver's seat. So I, so I, and I still do this to this day. There's days where I have really bad days and I have to catch myself like, wait a minute, I get to control how, I can't control what is happening to some degree. In many cases, we can't control a lot of things, but I can control how I, how I define it, how I internalize it. I can't control that coronavirus is here. None of us can control that. I can't control that I'm stuck in the house with a four-year-old that's driving me nuts. I can't, I, can't, I, can't, I, can't, I can't control that, but what I can control is what definition I give to this reality. And the definition I'm giving to it is, wow, what a great opportunity to reconnect with my family. What a great opportunity that I have to just kind of spend more time in quiet and just really reflect on my life up until now and what I want to <clears throat> achieve in the next 10 years. <clears throat> what a great time is really for us to do some spring cleaning. Well, I mean, I can just keep going. I can just keep going. That doesn't mean that bad things won't happen between now and when this thing is over. But again, those things I cannot control. So why am I going to allow myself to lose sleep over what I can't control? Hmm. How about I? 
What strategy huh? do you engage to let it go, though? How do you? How do you? you I, know, I, I, I get to that mindset. I, I, I just told you the strategy is for, from the smallest things to the largest thing, and I would start small. This is not going to happen overnight, and I haven't mastered it. But any any opportunity I have when something goes wrong, and this is what I'm trying to teach my four year old. Because he's very passionate and he's, oh my God, oh, you'll meet him, right? But I, I'm trying to even teach him this. The smallest little thing. Okay. You drop your glass. He'll sit there and bawl and scream and kick and, oh my God, I dropped it. And I said, well, Aiden, with all the screaming that you're doing, does that solve the problem of the glass being on the floor or the cup being on the floor? No. So what would solve the problem? If I pick it up, oh, wow, you're right. Mm -hmm. Oh, that's so, you're so right about that. Mm -hmm. So let me ask you a question. Let me ask you a question, Aiden. That's my son's name. Let me ask you a question. So all of the screaming and crying you did, that you didn't have to do that? No. So it didn't solve the problem, all the screaming and crying? No. So what did it do? Nothing. So what should you do when you drop the cup the next time? Just pick it up. Yeah. And he's four. But guess what? We're still dealing with that at 30 and 40 and mm -hmm. 50 right, to right. some degree or another. That's the right. cup is on the floor, and we're crying that the cup is on the floor. The person left, and you're crying that the person left. You lost the job. You lost the money. The business failed. You got kicked out of school. You failed the class. The cup is on the floor, and you're crying. Mm -hmm. But guess what? There's nothing you can do about the fact that they left. There's nothing you can do about the fact that you failed the class. There's nothing you can do about the fact that you lost the money and the business failed. But what you can do is uh, make a determination and a decision to ascribe a meaning to what happened that will encourage you and push you further into your purpose as, a far, as, as opposed to further away from it. Mm. And that is what I try to do. Mm. Whenever I drop a cup, Brandon, what do I need to see from this? What lesson can I learn from this? Oh, I'm very clumsy and I should not put cups on the side of where my hand is. I need to put it in front of me and not beside me. Wow, I just learned a lesson. Mm. You see what I'm saying? So like, it, it has to be that that small and that, you know, not almost nonsensical. I'm talking about a cup, but in reality, I'm talking about our entire lives. Hmm. So that for me is what I try to do. And it's a daily practice. It's not easy. Um, I talk to myself, you know, it sounds crazy, but I'll talk back to myself because uh, I feel like those voices inside of our head, we allow those voices to be louder than the voice that tells us to move forward or we're better than this or we can win. For some reason, we default to the voice that tells us we're nothing, that we're failures, that we're not, that we're never going to get to where we want to go. For some reason, we allow those voices to be louder than all the voices that build us up. And so, you got to make a decision to speak to yourself and speak back against those voices that tell you things that are really not true. Hmm. They may be facts, but they're not true. This is the difference between truth and fact. The fact is, yes, I failed. The truth is, I'm not a failure. There's a difference between truth and fact. And so you have to tell yourself in, in the face of the facts, the truth. Hmm. I went through all that and I was telling my wife, because my wife, you know, she's, you know, like everybody rightfully so, you know, you're a little tense about what's going on right now. But I've been through so much. I, I, did, I was in a, a, a motorcycle accident in August last year. My jaw in Mexico, my wife and I, my jaws were wired shut for three, four months. Hmm. My chin was fractured in two places. Hmm. I lost eight teeth. I was in. I had 15 plus hours of surgery under anesthesia. I had infection in my chin two and three times. I had to go back under the knife to put them to deal with that. Ooh. But guess what? 
Every chance I got, I worked while I was in my bed in the hospital. I closed deals while I was in the bed in the hospital. I went to board meetings with a surgical mask on and my jaws wired shut and closed the deal and signed the deal. Wow. Not one day was I depressed. I take that back. There wasn't one day. Uh, and we'll get into why in, in, in another moment. But I think, you know, for me, you know, that, that was it for me because I had made a decision. And this was after I read that book and after I reconciled the book with my faith, um, which that book is just... Like I said, a whole bunch of spiritual principles in it anyway. But that's what did it for me. And so now, like, and, and all the stuff I went through before then, this corona thing doesn't phase me. If I lost every dime today, it would not move me. Hmm. Guaranteed. It wouldn't move me. Because I already lost I already lost all my money once before. Hmm. And I learned from it. And I'm, and I'm immune to it now. Hmm. As a matter of fact, if you get the coronavirus, you'll be immune to the coronavirus after you recover from it. Right. But you have to get the virus to become immune to it. You had to fail in order to become immune to that failure. Hmm. And not just not just of the failure, but can you also be immune to success? I'm immune to success, too. Hmm. I've had success. I understand what it is. I understand what it can do. I've also had failure. I'm immune to both of them. Now, all I want is purpose. That's all I want. That's all I want to infect me is purpose. Wow. So failure can be the best thing that ever happens to you. If you if you say it is, it'll be the worst thing that ever happened to you if you say it is. Wow. Listen, Brandon, you summed up my entire interview here. I don't even have to ask you any next questions because you already gave it. <laughs> I appreciate that, man. I mean, this is very thorough, man. And and I know you for a long time. Mm -hmm. and I know I know you've gone through many rites of passage and, and you're a great man today. You know, an outstanding man, exceptional man, black man today. You know, an except, exceptional father and a husband. And, you know, um, even though I'm older than you, I still look up to you. And so I'm glad that um, you continue to do the things that you do. And um, I'm glad to still have you in my life. And I, and I want you to keep going and doing the things you do and become keep keep be, keep being great. I appreciate it, man. And let me say this. You you are one of the people who have a hand who, who I should say who has had a hand in me being who I am today. So I want to thank you publicly for all that you've done and how you've poured into me over the years and believed in me and pushed me and, and encouraged me and built me up. Uh, it means more than you know. Uh, and so you're, you're, you're one of those people who, who definitely, who, who's, who's, uh, whose uh, impact has an imprint uh, in my life. So I thank you for it. Thank you, man. Thank you, brother, for saying that. So listen, um, you know, I want you to plug in your business. Uh, this is an opportunity to share what, what, you, what you're doing and the kind of business that you're into and people should uh, engage you in. You have, if you have an Instagram, if you have an email, uh, you have a website. Sure, sure, sure. Yeah, check me out. Uh, Instagram, I am Brandon. Oh, so yeah, I am Brandon Gibson uh, at I am Brandon Gibson on Instagram. Uh, check me out there. Uh, Light Rock Holdings is a, a real estate development company. Uh, we develop and purchase properties in New York and New Jersey mainly. As of late, we are working on projects in Houston and Dallas. Uh, but uh, and and also Philadelphia, but uh, those are our main markets. So if you've got projects in those areas, or you, you've got some questions about something you might be working on, or you know someone who might want to sell or do a joint venture, please reach out to me. Love to work with you guys. Uh, and yeah, let's build together, guys. All right. Thanks for listening to Pushing Boundaries. Once again, my name is Sharif Rucker. If you've enjoyed the podcast, please do me a favor by commenting, subscribing, and sharing this podcast with everyone you know. All of these things are free and take very little effort. 
but would mean the world to me. Thanks again and stay tuned.